Welcome to Think and Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a better better global society. Hello everyone, this is the Thinking Reimagined podcast. And we're continuing our conversation on managing social media presence. Well, social networking has changed the way we interact. Um, With all the benefits you can think of come huge challenges. For instance, with the advent of this technology comes what we now know as digital slavery. Dr. Ama in the previous episode explained to us how social media feedback, you know, stimulate the brain to release dopamine, rewarding the behavior that has now become for many an addiction. On this podcast, we are considering social media and the privacy concerns. Dr. Amma, Executive Director, Leave Abundantly, joins me. Ms. Abby of Curtis joins live from London. Let me introduce our guest speaker, Skelly and Mayo Kudu. Kelly, senior manager at One Campaign, Mayo Kuno, also known as Icebox and the Mini Self Fitness, is a semi-retired MMA fighter. We'll find out what that means in the course of this conversation. Both of them are of the S&M show. Thank you guys for joining this conversation. Thank you so much for Let having me us. begin with Kelly. So the new trend now on Twitter is that people share their personal lives with influencers. It also appears that the darker the secret, the better the story and the higher the number. What do you think makes, how do you explain this new trend where people share their life secrets under the guise that it will be published as anonymous? Um, well, Looking at it critically, it's not exactly new. Um, you know, in publications back in the day, you have, uh, you know, letters to the editor or letters or, or, you know, depending on the kind of publication it was, you'd have people send in some sort of, um, um, especially when it came to like advice columns, there was a famous one called Ask Amy, if I remember. And so there has always been um, an interest and an appetite for this kind of uh, revelation on the part of, of um, anonymous people in publications. Now it's just modernized for the social media age. Um, so it's not, in terms of the public interest, it's not a new thing. However, um, you know, with the internet comes speed of circulation um, and, you know, how quickly people consume these things and move on. Um, regarding the personal effects of these things, I think it's largely, I don't want to use the word harmless, but um, it, it satisfies a certain curiosity that we have about how other people are living their lives. Um, however, I think where it can be, um, uh, I, I guess damaging is a strong word, but that's the word that comes to mind, where it can be um, harmful 
is where you begin to find a the normalization of things that may not necessarily be healthy for people to do in their personal lives um and b where um where the proliferation and the availability of this kind of content means that people actually become quite uh, addicted to it and are constantly hunting down the latest gossip, the latest revelation about other people's um, personal lives. And then also, even for the reader as well, um, um, you can begin to view other people in a way that is not accurate based on, because these things are self-selected. They receive all kinds of entries and then they publish the most salacious online. Um, and it begins to make you, make, can make one think that, oh, this is the way everybody's living their life, when actually that's not necessarily true. So um, the, I think there's a big burden on consumers of this kind of content to um, maintain a realistic picture of what it is they're consuming. And also, um, just for the sake of, in my opinion, mental health, to moderate the amount of this kind of content that people consume. I think once in a while it's fine, but where it begins to dominate the way one sees themselves and others, it's a problem. Fantastic, Stella. I, I, I like the point you made about popularizing these um, stories to the point where people begin to consider them as numb. Um, Mayo, I don't know if you've seen some of these tweets, they're really dark secrets, like someone in a marriage telling you how just he or she is sleeping with someone else. And uh, the popular opinion will be, well, the individual is bold enough to share his or her own story. I mean, it is hypocrisy to, to criminalize them or to say that they are in the wrong, as it were. But let me ask you, is there any fear or any concerns about the identity of the anonymous uh, leaking to the public? Um, I would say that it's, it's kind of two-sided. I, I personally feel that people who put these stories out there, the personal stories of this, if I can even go back, I always thought a lot of these stories that were put out were actually not true. I thought a lot of them were made up, but I've come to realize that quite a lot of them actually are true. And then, but it goes, it ties in with this very popular idea that the strongest currency right now is attention. So everybody's looking for some means of getting attention. So even if it's you know putting a very like dark secret out there, um, something that's clearly taboo, because taboo, taboo gets attention. Nothing else gets attention more than taboo. You know, something like, oh, that is absolutely nasty. And everybody is hungry for it. So it's it's on both sides. People are struggling to get attention. And we also we are the consumers of this thing and we give it our attention. Um, so I don't I don't particularly sympathize with anonymity being given out because I feel like the very instance you put the story out there, even if some of the guys are always going to be anonymous, maybe the anonymity gives you a bit more um, boldness to, to put more of the story out there. But I always feel that the moment you put it out there, you, you've given anyone the permission 
giving the story to a stranger or entity or organization or whatever, automatically you've given up all real, real rights to anonymity. That's, that's the way I look at it. It's the same way if you personally want to share a secret with a friend of yours who is married, just assume that the person's spouse is going to know this thing you said. It's just one of those things. It's just you have to be prepared for it. I, that's a personal thing I can say. So, um, yeah, that's what that's my opinion on the situation. May I just come in and say something? Um, Maya did talk about the attention, the need for attention, and that being a currency. Um, yes, there is some truth to that. That visibility, the more visibility you have particularly in the digital age, that people are going to be drawn to your product or to your story. But the other sign of attention is the intention. What is the intention in sharing information, personal information, personal stories online of such salacious manner? We're all aware of life stories. Life stories can be inspiring. Life stories can give you an opportunity to encourage somebody else to do something. Life stories can empower. But what is the intention of sharing these kinds of details that only in the end come to cause you grief? Because we know from our previous recordings, the internet never forgets. Anything you put out on social media, Believe me, you have given up your rights and you've left it out for funder. Anyone can use it. There is no such thing on the internet as anonymity. They know who you are and they can identify you and it can be used against you. We live in a cancel culture. All of this information will come back at some point in time because you have personally put it out there. You know, if you're over 18, you're supposed to know what information you've put out there and it's going to come back and it's always going to be there. It doesn't disappear. It's like the hard drive on your computer. People think, oh, I, I scrambled it. I cleared it. I've done all sorts of things. It is there. The experts can take an abandoned computer, reconfigure it and pull out every single piece of data that ever crossed that computer. So we need to be mindful of what we're doing. We, we need to recognize that with attention, comes intention and if the intention is not well-meaning and will come back to um, harm you or cause grief to another person then you need to be mindful of it the rate of young children and even adults committing suicide because they have put out information that they did not realize what the long-term effect will be is appalling it is appalling. It's not necessary. So I put that out there. And yes, it is true. There's a sense of dopamine that you get. There's a sense of oxytocin, like, oh, yes, I'm loved. No, you're not loved. People are taking that information and they're using it in a salacious manner that could do you harm or be detrimental to your career or your personal life in the long run. That's my little comments for now. Thank you. Indeed, Dr. Abba. Ms. Abba, let me bring you in on this. So is there a sense to which uh, perhaps we have to wake up to the reality that some of these things are now being normalized? So Todike had a video from TEDx recently talking about how she rides on controversies, negativity, and many of the critics uh, or criticism online. 
Uh, the reality is that some people really are making money from this. And if um, you look at what um, gets people's attention these days, it's some um, reality shows. Take Big Brother Nigeria, for instance. Uh, people just um, follow a thing if it tells it all and shows what usually should not be shown to the public. Is that the new normal that we all now have to adjust to? Ms. Abby. Thank you, Nifemi, for your question. Um, my answer is quite brief, quite short. Um, I, I think as a nation, um, we are known all over the world to like attention, with the exception of the Congolese who wear their yellows and their oranges, yes? But as Nigerians, we are known to like attention. We're very flamboyant. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and they said, oh gosh, some schools are getting embarrassed by Nigerian parents. You tell them to come to picnics with a sandwich and they come with a Harrods box, you know, and they're really embarrassing and things like this. So we are known to like attention. So this social media has just given um, those of us who like attention, who are attention seekers, the avenue to really go overboard. And, um, and I would say it's, ex it's extreme, actually. You know, the amount of, is it TikTok videos? The amount of anything we do as a nation, we tend to go to the extreme. I'm, I'm going to use the word as a nation. Um, so we're talking about, you know, controlling content. It's almost impossible, you know. Whereas we think we should have content, the, the reality is the content on the internet should be content that educates people in a positive way not content that educates them in a, a negative way, so to speak. So for example, Instagram is, is very uh, positive, is a very positive influence in terms of bringing out people, um, sort of like giving a platform to people with disabilities, for example. So you find people who uh, are, have achieved so much in life, despite their disabilities on, on Instagram, you know, getting people to know that this is this is fine but when it comes to <clears throat> our nation and we're talking about the Tonto decades I, I do not want to judge because I realize that in many cases uh, a lot of the uh, influencers or people that are on you know looking for this attention they actually are seeking help in many different ways and it's probably soothing for them to have this form of release uh, to share these burdens with people. I, I don't think it's actually natural to share as much as what is being shared. I was shocked to read the, um, I've forgotten the name of, Oloni, the Oloni extracts. And to be honest, I thought some of those um, women and possibly men, I don't know, needed um, help, some sort of sex therapy or something. You know, these are extreme behaviors that can no way be normalized and for it to be on twitter that all oh, men are get becoming afraid that all women are like this well that that's not true the reality is this, this is extreme behavior that is becoming normalized and in fact by reading all those extracts some women will be encouraged to do that thinking that, that it's normal um, so I, I hate to judge because I realize that some people do need help and we don't have the avenues to receiving the mental health um, the mental health help or, you know, um, social workers and people to talk to, people to just, you know, just offload to um, in our nation, quote, unquote. Kelly, you know, it's um, very hard for majority of people to understand Miss Abby's position 
particularly when you consider the fact that not much of the negative implication of this extremism is published online. And I'm going to give you an example. So a popular musician recently had an issue with his family that came online. Uh, the wife went on social media to rant. But just a few days after he released a music video, uh, there are people questioning uh, whether he was taking advantage of the trending news or if everything was planned after all. Um, there are people who would tell you, for instance, that what we'll call extreme is their own way of you know, getting the numbers high and in a way advancing their career. How do you react to that? Well, um, there's, there are quite a few stories like that where um, a celebrity is anticipating a bit of bad press and so they throw something else out so that it, it's a diversionary tactic so that the rest of us put our attention on the story that they have chosen to put out and um, we ignore what could be a much more damaging story. Um, apart from the example that you just referenced, which I think I'm aware of, um, you know, people are saying the same thing about Nicki Minaj right now, even though that's not in the Nigerian context. But her husband has quite a lot of um, dirty laundry being aired, but everybody's talking about her opinions of the COVID-19 vaccine, that kind of thing. Um, so my, I think it happens quite a bit, actually. Having done some kind of crisis communications in my, um, in my career, um, tactics like that are um, employed. Um, however, one thing I would like to just add is that we empower these things with the attention that we give them. Um, and I tend to be quite an individualist when I look at um, issues like this. I think we as consumers of social media need to be discerning and um, and quite aware of what it is that we choose to consume and what, we, what it is that we choose to give our attention to. Um, so it's what worries me. There's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on. But what worries me is when people allow these stories to dominate their thinking, to dominate their consciousness, and to dominate how they feel about the world around them. Um, so I think it's imperative on consumers of social media and people who are in that space, and I am in that space as well, to really find what works for them um, from a mental health standpoint. You cannot spend, you know, um, all your time consuming stories about people's private lives, which in many cases, just like the example that you mentioned, which in many cases are being manipulated in the service of you know, whatever career goals that that person has. So it's, um, it's, it, it's definitely true that the way these stories are put out and the way that they're published, it's for, for some people, it's all a game. It's all a game of attention, of um, visibility and of managing their careers. Um, so very often they do, we know what they want us to know about. That, that, that's the much more sophisticated players in the game. But then you have regular people who try to play the same game and actually giving up vital personal information about their lives. Um, they're not doing this with a big PR firm behind them or with, uh, with an agent telling them, do this, do that, give this interview, grant that interview. People are just going out and blurting out everything that they're doing, good and bad. And then that can get them in trouble in the end. I am not a 
social media is a bad person. I don't believe that at all. Like I said, I'm in the space, but we all need to be much more sophisticated and mindful about how we use these tools. And they should be just tools to us, as opposed to all consuming, um, um, you know, factors in our lives that determine our mood and determine, you know, the quality of our relationships. In that position, in that case, it's gone too far. I'm so glad that you said that because the truth of the matter is the interest in other people's lives has always been with us. Uh, now it's on the digital platform with social media before people used to buy those rag magazines, not to put them down because they wanted to get those stories, you know, as a weekly thing. Oh, what's going on? What's that person doing? What's the, what are they wearing? So literally it has moved from print into the digital where you can access it almost immediately and the world. I mean, the nice thing about Think and Reimagine is that we are global. So we're not looking at things purely from a, always from a Nigerian perspective because we live in a global society. But if you take that into consideration, what you're finding is very often the stories that are getting the clicks and the likes, very often they're not the stories that are going to change people's lives or the stories that are bringing attention to critical aspects of what is going on that can be detrimental to an individual society. It's really the stories that are being used to grab attention because people need attention, they want attention. Suddenly everyone has become their own agent trying to sell themselves or sell a product or sell absolutely nothing in some cases. Um, but you're absolutely right. Our concern sometimes is this information sips into the younger generation. We have younger people who have gained access to the internet and now they're being influenced by what is being put out there by adults who are not intentionally thinking about the long-term um, effect on the children, the young ones who've gained access to the internet, who are looking at it, who are in that space, who are their minds are forming and yet what they're getting is not necessarily in any way going to benefit them in their studies or in their careers or professionally. So you're, you're absolutely correct. It is a space that we're all using. We're using it right now. But we do need to be intentional in what we're putting out there. I mean, there's a recent video that's going on about an army officer that, for lack of a better, dehumanized another woman. We've all seen it, but how much attention is that getting compared to the other stories that you've talked about? That is the difference when you're dehumanizing somebody and it's out there and there is no feedback from those who should speak up. What is the message? So yes, in a way, social media is fantastic because we can see it, we can react, and we hope that those who can actually take action do what they're supposed to do, as opposed to just gaining and listening and following, for lack of a better word, I don't want to judge anyone, but some of it is nonsensical and it's not going to benefit them in any way, shape or form. Absolutely, Dr. Anna. Um, so there's a sense to which I think that social media only projects our state of mind. And I would like Mayor to react to this. The fact that social media might not be the problem, it might only be turning our attention to what the real problem is. 
So I put content on YouTube and I understand that if you don't use a clickbait, uh, if you don't use the right keywords, and most of the keywords has to do with what the drama is calling nonsensical. It's why if you do not rightly title this video, it might not get the impression that it deserves on YouTube. So my thinking is, uh, social media isn't really corrupting anyone. It's just showing perhaps the depth and the rot in the society. Mayo. I absolutely agree with what you said, how you said it. Um, I think it's the same thing too, that it's just a, social media just illuminates what's actually going on with us and what's wrong. Um, and all the algorithms that all the different social media platforms follow are just imitations of what they expect us of our behaviors. Like this is what people want. So this is how you must word things. This is how you must do your videos to get the most attention. Every, all of them have the different algorithms and all, but they all follow the same almost like principle is like use the things, use the imagery, use the words that will get people to react the most. And I mean, we have um, favorite YouTube channels that, or people that we consider favorite YouTube channels that we stopped subscribing to because of we felt over overuse of clickbait, right? Don't know about that. Kilmer now is a mechanic. And I mean, even just to put a, a video on how to repair a car, you say something like, this is why you shouldn't buy Toyotas. Um, Toyotas are the worst cars you could possibly buy. And, you know, it makes you want to like, oh, what's it? And then you watch the video and it has nothing to do with what he said in the clickbait. And it was just to get you to actually, um, yeah. And so everything, you, I feel like you see, there's no smoke without fire. Everything you see out there, everything, there's a reason why it works is because that is what we see and that's what we feel and that's how we react and that's how we behave. Um, so I, I, Kelly was saying earlier as well that social media is not the problem per se, but we are in a society now, we're in a time now where we almost serve social media as opposed to social media being a tool, like you said, and it's serving us. So when it becomes the master, then that's when the problems um, arise. And, when, and because it's just so easy, it's so easy to get it. We can literally wake up in the morning. Many of us have this habit. The first thing that we do, the first thing that we touch in the morning is our phones. The, first, the last thing we do before we go to bed is also our phones. So the access, the ease of access is so much and the volume. And then there's definitely, so there's so much demand and then they're definitely making up for it with enough supply given so sometimes they even have to make things up. Sometimes they have to ex exaggerate things, but it's there, the supply is there and then there's definitely the demand for it. And I definitely agree that, you know, what, what it is that we see on social media and what it happens on social media is just an illumination and expression of actually what we think and our behaviors and, you know, our, what would I say, like our basic instincts, but on a digital sense as opposed to a natural sense. So you have like your, your basic animal instincts, but this is like your basic digital instincts and just your, your need to just All right. consume. Yes, need to consume. So I'd like to- Thank you. To, I'd like to yes. add something to what uh, Nifemi and Mio and um, SNM have, have been saying. So um, I think we need to also look at a different angle, which is um, the future impact on children, actually. So um, in terms of looking at 
I mean, I mentioned that some of the adults um, engaging in these acts are probably traumatized in some way or another. Maybe they've had adverse childhood experiences of some sort, you know, which we know things like exposure to violence or rape and so on. Uh, but I, I think we need to look at the um, impact on children, impact on the future of the children who are exposed to it. And I think exposure to social media to this level could actually be counted as an ACE as well, an adverse childhood reaction in uh, experience in the end, because obviously we're not just talking about the children of those putting um, up, you know, the information on the platforms. We're also talking about the children who are watching, who are mistakenly going onto these YouTube channels or mistakenly, you know, just watching these inappropriate TikTok videos and things like that. And I think I, I need to link it with what I said about, you know, um, these damaging actions are soothing possibly to the to the adults and vicariously become soothing to the children to watch as well. I, I don't know if anybody would like to add to that, because I actually think that obviously the people I, I'd like to liken it to alcoholism or drug addiction and things like that, that people who are engaging in it know that it's damaging, but it's soothing temporarily. Yes. Um, Dr. Amma knows all the medical terms <laughs> to use. It's soothing temporarily, so they don't really see the, the, the damage. So if you think of self-harm, the child self-harming uh, doesn't actually see the damage, just sees the relief or the soothing. It's only later, maybe when somebody points to it, if they're bold enough. And it's, it's if we can get, um, I don't know, officials of social media to actually point out these errors actually, or these mistakes or these excesses. Um, I think that's that's one way of, of dealing with it by looking at the um, effect on children as well. Okay, I just wanted to share a few um, pieces of information um, about this topic that um, I've come across in other forums. Um, and one is that one of the most popular practices in Silicon Valley, where a lot of these technologies are developed and pushed out to the world, is dopamine fast. That a lot of these guys will stay away from their social media for a long time because they know that dependency and addiction to dopamine exists, and they'd like to reduce the, the impact of these, um, these platforms in their lives. So they do that a lot. Another thing is that a lot of the people who are creating these um, softwares, these apps and these platforms, do not let their children use them. So they push them out to us, but they, their children aren't. Steve Jobs famously said that his children did not have iPads. This is Steve Jobs, the man who invented the iPad, did not let his children use it. And then um, um, Abby was talking just now about the effects on children. I was listening to something recently where they were saying that children are showing up in American universities with almost an inability to read body language. The same way I can stand across from you and guess your mood just from your facial expressions or you know, your body posture or whatever. Children are coming in completely unable to really pick up on these cues. And certain elite universities are setting up workshops for incoming students to understand these kinds of nonverbal communication. Why? Because they're spending all their time interacting with screens and not human beings. The number of children, I'm sorry, this, these are very America-centric um, 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 points, but we are, uh, like Dr. said, we are global. 
um, um, the number of children who see their friends every day is dropping year and year, um, year in and year out. And a big part of that is we just hand them an iPad and all of a sudden they stop making noise and the house is quiet and the kid is occupied and all is well. Again, temporary, soothing temporarily, but these yeah. things are having effects on children in the long term. And the, the kids coming up now are coming up with a completely different set of skills than you know when I was um, young, not too long ago. <laughs> wow. Well, Skelly, I'm so, so glad that you brought that up, Skelly, because um, what you're referencing is what we call in neuroscience, um, neuroplasticity of the brain, mm. and also epigenetics. And it is absolutely true that although you may think of it as American-centric, it's affecting everyone. It's not limited to America. And, and they're less, um, uh, what's the word, um, nets to catch those children who were falling through. We are social beings and we're naturally supposed to interact. And we learn from a very young age how to read body language, to understand spoken language. And with the, a healthy brain, we're able to then communicate emotionally, learn cognitively. And then of course our behavior becomes um, even more centralized, uh, excuse me, even more adaptive to the society in which we are or in a global society. What we're finding, and you're absolutely correct, is um, the psychologists and neuroscientists that work on this project, they're very good at knowing what would trigger. So the words that we use on social media, the videos that we share really trigger a particular part of our brain. And that's most of the time it's the amygdala. We're reacting to what's being given to us as opposed to um, looking at it from a more cognitive, intelligent aspect. There's no reason why you're waking up in the morning and you're picking up your phone and you're going to sleep and you're dropping your phone. That is not the way that you heal your brain or you prepare your brain for another day. You shouldn't even be having those kinds of activity. You should be more in a calm state, a more mindful, restful state so that your brain has a chance to, to relax and rest. There's a particular part of our brain, the hippocampus, and that part of our brain all night long whilst we're sleeping is literally going through the information, the millions of data that you have absorbed um, throughout the day, whether it's kinesthetic, visual, auditory, it's processing those bits of information and it then attaches it to prior information. So you have your long term, you have your short term, and then you have a whole lot of rubbish that you have been exposed to during the day, which is cleared out. When you cannot clear that out, the halitosis, then you begin to develop other neurons and you have distress, you have unhealthy thinking and behavior. And we know that this is tied to dementia. We know that the studies are showing that when you don't have enough sleep, when you're not mindful in what you're ingesting, that overload on your brain is not healthy. But in the long run, it leads to other things because your brain, the hippocampus, that part of your brain needs seven to eight hours to clean out what you don't need. And then of course, to repair for another day so you can move forward. So it is important for us to recognize that yes, we want to get dopamine release, but we, we need to get the right form of dopamine. 
you know, and you get the good form of dopamine from exercising, from interacting, talking to people, um, from being in the sun, that, that you need more than anything else. And there are other ways to exercise your brain. I'm not saying that we shouldn't use social media. We do need to use it. It's how we've communicated over the last 19 months. But it's the type of effect that it, the long-term effects of social media on some people is more detrimental. There's a reason why those who are in the space turn it off and they don't engage in it. It affects your thinking in the long run. And your brain health is most important for your overall health. Um, and, and we want to focus on that. Now, I mentioned epigenetics earlier. Epigenetics is really recognizing, or people don't recognize it, but the things that you're exposed to modifies genetically your mind, your brain. And that, in the end, can be passed down to your offsprings. Yes, it does happen. So it is under epigenetics. I don't want to give a full lecture right now, but you can look it up. There's a reason why we do these things and we say it. Um, so I hope that answers the question that was raised earlier. And it's important for us to share this information, whether the study is coming from the United Kingdom or the United States of America. It is necessary here because the, the, the safeguards do not exist in Nigeria to support the kind of learning that's needed. And we need to encourage parents to spend more time talking to their children, discussing things with them. They don't need an iPad at six months or nine months. It shouldn't be the first tool that they're exposed to. The first tool should be dialogue, it should be books. Those are the things that begin to build those neurons for learning, for language, for communication, that's what we need. And then you can introduce those other tools to support the learning, but it shouldn't be the priority. I'm going to turn it over to Abby because she's the educationist. I mean, there's so, I mean, there's so many things they can get up to. You know, I, I personally think that um, going to school is a good idea. You know, I was talking to somebody this morning who said, oh, going to school is so expensive. There's an online school and her child is going to be going to school online. And I thought it was a terrible idea simply because the child would have to engage with people online, is not going to mix socially. And, you know, it's so detrimental to the child's health. But anyway, uh, that's um, something else. So th there's so many alternatives. If we think back to how we grew up before computers, you know, you tell children these days that, you know, I grew up in the time of no mobile phones. They're like, really? Uh, there were no laptops, really. There were no this. Yes, there were no laptops. There were just big monitors, you know, and things. And they can't believe you because they think this has been here for a long time. So, you know, a typical day for a child would be obviously get up in the morning and maybe uh, pray and have your or, or sing with your parents or you can wake them up with singing, you know, and this is very, very um natural actually you know rather than yelling at them to get up you can wake them up with singing you can you know um, bumble yourself into their bedroom and um, fall on their beds and you know it's just it, it makes the beginning of their day very interesting okay and then you know from board games to skipping all these activities are no longer existent in schools 
Is it 1010? I don't even think they play 1010 anymore. They don't play hopscotch. They don't play elastics. They don't clap the clapping games, Miss Mary, Mac, Mac, Mac. They, they don't do all those things, you know. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. So I spend time trying to teach, you know, the, the children about, oh, you know, we used to have this game called elastics. It's a big elastic band. And then you, you jump in between them and they're skipping games. And you can actually have one person holding the skipping rope, another person holding, and then you skip and two people can skip at the same time they they don't know that that's not been introduced to them at all and then of course there's juggling you know there's juggling things teaching them how to juggle there's also um the jacks you know when i think in nigeria you throw a stone and you pick up something you throw two stones you pick up something there's so many variations of these games you can play they're very very affordable games you may i, I remember being seven being taught what the game what the card game what such a simple game you tell children to pick up cards now they say no only old people pick up cards old people play cards you know um there's so many games from origami making up paper you know paper animals i mean i could go on and on about the different games you know um but there's so many ways to engage children nowadays and if you do not have any ideas paper and colors will do the trick and maybe a pair of scissors for them to make something Thank you. Absolutely. Fantastic, Miss Abby. Fantastic. Um, she talked about the need to focus on other things, study and the rest. You see, the theme, the challenge with our generation is that everything is mixed up. So you're studying on your laptop and then you're receiving notifications. Um, um, you mentioned the issue with attention span. You post a five minutes video. People stop watching at 30 seconds because there are just too many content online to feast on, many entertainment, so much distraction. How do you deal with the distraction in this social media age? Okay, so I'm actually going to be very specific because Kelly and I actually have things that we do because we've realized that we had issues, right? We were addicted to these things. And, you know, it's very easy to make excuses and be like, oh, God, I need it for work. You know, we have to put my brand out there. You know, we have to put our brand out there. But we are not willing to sacrifice our mental health for this thing. You know, because it was becoming a problem. So the things that we do, we occasionally have social media fast. So I'm way more on social media than he is. But he would, so he goes off social media on weekdays and only comes on like Friday evenings on the weekend. Yes. I do an entire week, you know, the last four weeks of the month, I do the entire week off social media. Um, so just things that I do as a regulator. And I think everybody first needs to just start with being aware that there is a problem and that there is a need for regulation of it in their lives. And then after that point, you can now decide how you want to structure this. You know, at some point I plan to increase the amount of time I stay off the uh, off social media. Um, or even little games like friends do. Like so one of the games that we saw online that we decided we're gonna adopt is. If we all go out to have a meal, everybody has to put their phones like down, face down. And the first person to touch the phone and flip it over has to pay for everybody's food. You know, little, little things like that. You know, I've seen restaurants with little signboards saying, no Wi-Fi here, we have conversations in here. And just things like that. So I think if everybody has little things, like little games, a little like you know, structured regulatory, you know, formats to just help pull away from it, you know. But it always starts with awareness that there is a problem then okay. you know that's really but that's what we do and it's, it's very specific and very real to us 
I agree with you. I agree with you, uh, Mayor. So um, there's there is there's an improvement in our quality of lives when we take a break from social media. For instance, when I have a conversation with my wife and we decide to put the phone down, it's usually different from when you're talking to someone and then you're checking updates. Even when you say you're doing it for work, um, there's a point where you acknowledge that you're doing it too much and there's a lot of other things you're doing apart from work. So I'm going to hear from uh, Skelly briefly and hear Dr. Amos' closing remark and we'll be done. Yeah. Um, since this is my closing remark, I just want to say this has been a great conversation and um, I've really benefited and enjoyed being a part of this. Um, regarding um, our relationship to social media, you know, Maya has gone through some of the things that we've both adopted in our lives. Uh, but I also think that it's important to recognize um, just how some of these things seep into the way we view the world and the way we conduct ourselves in ways that are damaging. I worry about, and partly because a bit of personal information, partly because I am in this stage of life as well, I worry about um, the effect of um, all the sort of, we talked about the things that were going on with Ohlone recently. Um, being a young person who wants to eventually settle down, have kids, by the time you look at the things that are being put out there as the norm about things like relationships and marriage and all that, you know, you may begin to have second thoughts. Um, and so in my life, I have deliberately decided to turn down the volume on, you know, the salacious gossip that I consume or the sort of gender debates, or oh, women are this, men are this, because you end up losing the appreciation for the individual because you, by consuming too much of this stuff, just begin to think, oh, all women behave like this, all men behave like this, and we are always emphasizing the negative. So my advice to people would just be, put down the screens and just enjoy the actual people, the actual human beings around you. Have actual conversations. Go out, you know, sit at the coffee shop and talk to someone. Um, and you know, one of the things I really value about my friendship with Maya is I very, very often look at each other and say, I haven't seen you in four days. We've been chatting, but I haven't seen you in four days. And that's too long. So build relationships based on face-to-face -face interaction wherever, where possible. And you'll find that your relationships are stronger and better um, in the long run. So All right, Victor, let, let's, have, <laughs> let's have a closing remark now. Um, digital technology is here to stay. It is, uh, it's here to stay, not going anywhere. It's part of how we do our work, it's how we live, it's how we interact with others. What we need to do is to pay attention to the information we're sharing and to have and be aware of the intention of what we are sharing. But most importantly, we need to recognize that as social beings, we must take care of our brain health. It is most important if we want to live long, healthy, active lives and collaborating with others as we're doing right now, engaging with others, communicating with others, being active in our lives is the most important thing. And we can do more for our own brain health and well-being by monitoring how much time we spend on social media and the sort of information that we are feeding ourselves. In the long run, 
it will be of great benefit to us as individuals, but also to our families and our community. And before Thank I go, so I much. we were talking about um, activity. I don't usually do plugs, but we've been talking about activity and physical activity and dopamine. And if Myron will allow me, you know, I, they, they've got some physical activity coming up very soon. I think it's tomorrow, the day after at Bature, for those who are interested. Myron, you have one minute <clears throat> less than that to say something about it. So much for the plug. Yeah, so right um, now we're going to be producing a uh, fight event at Battery Brewery. It's called the Battery Brewery Brawl. It is tomorrow at um, 6 p.m. at um, Atimia 256, Island. So please, I would love to see everybody there. It's going to be a very entertaining night. It's going to be combat, you know, violence, but controlled violence, um, as well as some entertainment. There's going to be some singers on, some dancers. It's going to be a beautiful event. Hope to see everybody. And it'll be a wonderful way to get some dopamine and serotonin. Yes, get that dopamine. <laughs> well done. Thank you, everyone. And if I may, I turn Thank it over you. to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It takes it takes a lot of discipline to take your life back in this digital age. And conversations conversations like this is like a reality check for everyone. It checks us back to paying more attention to those things that are more important than just um, staring at the screen and checking likes and notifications all day long. A big thank you to everyone, Dr. Amma, Miss Abby, Mayo, and Kelly. Did I get that right? Kelly and Mayo. I think <laughs> you guys should, should hang around a little bit more. We really enjoyed your company on this one. A big thank you to everyone who has joined live on Facebook. And if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, we appreciate you. See you again next time. I'm Mifa Mio. Thank you, everyone. Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast. And welcome your comments, insights, and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness, and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset for a better global society. society.